0: would be a period of suspense as messages went to and from Worcestershire. Meanwhile, all my possible futures still lay open. The lodgings in Cathcart Street would suit me well enough. I had stayed with Mrs. Deacon before leaving for France, and found her courteous and discreet. I could lie low in her house until I heard from my godfather. Adjusting myself to English ways again and tuning my tongue to my native language... When I had exchanged courtesies with Mrs. Deacon and sent for my luggage, I sat down in my parlour to write a letter. "'My dear Godfather, I returned to London this afternoon from the travels which you so generously enabled. Mr. Ward advised me that I should take my former lodgings with Mrs. Deacon and await your further instructions. The last communication I received from you found me in Rouen, on the final stage of my journey home.' you were at that time, you reported, in good health, and were kind enough to say that you looked forward to seeing me on my return. When we meet you will find me, I hope, better informed and a little less awkward. Your generosity would have been ill-rewarded if that were not the case. In my letters to you I have attempted to convey something of what I have acquired. I can now converse fluently in French and tolerably well in German and Italian, my knowledge of the history, politics, and arts of the great European countries has been greatly enhanced. When last in London, I was still something of a young country cult. I had exuberance without discipline, curiosity without direction. I hope my two years of travel have made me more reflective and purposeful. At the very least, I am improved in deportment and address. These claims may seem idle boasts. I would hope to make them good in conversation when I have the pleasure of seeing you. The Godfather, whose generosity to an orphan has done so much to improve his lot and widen his prospects. I will remain in London and await further directions. Since a defined period of education has now come to an end, you may imagine that I look forward with eagerness and some little anxiety to hearing what advice you now have for me. I remain, etc., The composition of this grave epistle was accompanied by a facetious mental commentary. Much of the knowledge I had acquired related to activities that I would not have cared to discuss with my godfather. I was mimicking the cadences of respectability. But I was dissatisfied with the letter even as I wrote it. It was too priggish, too fulsome. It lacked the playful touches that I fancied Mr. Gilbert relished. The two-year absence had put me out of practice. I looked to recover the appropriate tone when I saw my patron again and could adapt my conversation to his responses. Perhaps it had been advisable at this stage to err on the side of seriousness. He was a formidable old gentleman in his way, not to be taken for granted. Perversely pleased to be breathing smoky London air once more, I refused Mrs. Deacon's offer to prepare me dinner and strode out through the teeming noisy streets. The wind had strengthened, and the big shop signs were swinging and creaking overhead. My destination was Keeble Steakhouse near the Strand, which in former days I had often visited with my friend Matt Cullen. With a nod of greeting, I took a seat at a table three-quarters full. It quickly struck me that my fellow diners were talking with particular animation and vigour. I concluded, rightly as I later learned, that this was one of the regular meetings of a conversation club. Without attending to what was said, I was content to be, once more, sitting in a haze of English words and phrases. I let the talk wash over me and fancied myself linguistically refreshed. Whatever my future course, for the time being it was comfortable to be home. Weary from travel, I drank some wine to feed my reflections and became pleasantly bemused. What would my godfather have to say to me? Where would I be two weeks hence? Was I to be condemned to rural life? The previous morning I had been conducting my business in French. Would I ever have reason to speak that language again? Hereabouts my idle stream of thought circled into an eddy. I wondered in what corner of my skull the unspoken language would be stored— How could such multifarious knowledge, such haystacks of nouns and verbs, such ladders and bridges of number and gender, be folded away into an unseen space? I pondered the paradox until my head swam.